and welcome to Through the Mist with me, your host Eric. This is a Void and Best Theory podcast where we look at the law and try to understand how it all works. In this episode, we'll be looking at the origin of the codes. And then there was something. Welcome back, everybody. This is round two for me, recording this entire episode, because I didn't like how I sounded in it. I think I was a bit too wishy-washy, so this one's going to be a bit more better coordinated, hopefully, and also, hopefully, the electronic... Um, hopefully that's all gone, but if it is still there, I'm very sorry. I don't know how to get rid of it. Um, yes. Welcome back, Mistbusters. Hello to one and all listening and joining us for this experience, because that's what I provide here. I provide an experience. Before we get into the episode, as per usual, we've got some things to discuss. A couple of announcements occurred in the Percy Jackson universe over the course uh, since the last episode. One of those being the US has got an update in its covers. You've got some new book covers for the Pojo series over there. I feel like they need to update the rest of them just to keep everything nice and combined and separate. However, the Son of Neptune cover, American cover, is like my favourite cover ever. I really wish we had it over here because our covers kind of suck. So yeah, so that's that's that. That's fun. That's exciting. They look cool. I like them. Sea of Monsters one I have questions about because it's a pine tree, apparently. It doesn't really look like a pine tree. It more looks like a birch tree to me, but I don't know. What do you guys think? And the other big news is very exciting. Shall I do a job more on my knee? Pojo TV show stuff. Pojo TV show stuff. Pojo TV show stuff. It got announced that they're doing location scouting for filming to hopefully start this summer, which is very exciting. Filming starts this year, which hopefully means the show first comes out next year. This is very exciting. Hopefully. I don't know. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll be cool and fun and exciting. Who's excited? Me. I'm excited. Am I trying to rein in my hype? Yes. But am I hyped anyway? 100%. All the way. Very hype. All the hype. Uh, I mean, that's it for Percy Jackson news, or things that we should all get excited and hyped about, I guess. But there's something else we need to talk about and discuss, which is the last episode I put out for with the lovely, wonderful fan whose book has now officially come out. So, uh, if you guys want a short story about wolves, you can always go and go and find that. Uh, Echoes to the past. So, you can always do that. And take a gander at a redenet. But, we also have some comments from the Instagrams, which is at through underscore mist, if you ever uh, feel like getting in touch or participating in these discussions. Oh, and if you don't have Instagram and you still want to participate in the discussion, you can always email through.t.mist at gmail.com. Don't forget. Yes, we are. So I, so I posted the question, as I usually do, relating to the episode. Basically, I just posted the episode's topic and then basically just want your guys' opinions on the topic that I just talked about. And we have a couple of opinions on why do monsters attack demigods and why some don't. Uh, one from sunlit.trash. Uh, which states probably depends on the power radiated by a demigod 
which likely has some kind of mind-altering type of effect on monsters. The scent, combined with the intelligence of monsters in question. A monster that is capable of rational thought and therefore delayed gratification and self-discipline may be more inclined to spare a demigod. And now the start of that is very similar to what me and Fran talked about last time. Um, how the ending adds a new aspect on it and it is, I, uh, I guess, boil it down to its basic terms is emotional versus rational thoughts. I, I have an, just an odd feeling whenever I talk about this sort of stuff so I'm not going to talk about it. The other one is a bit more of a jokey answer um, but also an extremely valid point that we should have all, which should we should all take into consideration is that every time we see a monster in the series they are usually attacking because they're working for the big bad evil guy there's a few exceptions especially in the first book but most of the time they are working for the big bad evil guy and if you're wondering who that comment's from it's from darian the person i did that death death episode with who also hosts podcast of poseidon a myth looking percy jackson based podcast so that was everything I wanted to cover before we actually dived into this episode. Uh, and so I guess there's nothing left to do but dive in. Yes, I, I can feel, I can, I can, I can, I can feel the questions coming about what this episode's about, because I can hear you, I can hear the mist, I can hear you lot, the mystical mistbusters now, I can hear you, I can feel you, your presence is here, and I can hear you going, Owen, but haven't you already done this? Haven't you already done an episode about the origin of the gods? Episode 19, The Eternal Nothingness, wasn't that all about the origins of, God, of, of the universe and how they all existed all at once? And to you, I say, yes. Yes, it was. You are correct there. However, there's another aspect that wasn't looked into that at all. And that is, why are there different pantheons? Or not just how they all live together, but why aren't they all just one pantheon in the first place? You know? That was the... That question wasn't asked or wasn't looked into. So that's what today's all about. Is about the universe is being created now. And then there was something. We're going to try and work out how there was something. You know? That's the... Or how there were multiple somethings. I don't know. I, I just... It felt... Because it was a continuation on the Eternal Nothingness episode. The episode title just felt like it makes... You know? Mm. Yes. This. So this is all about the different pantheons. And how these stories evolved over time. And were influenced by each other. And how that affects how the gods in this universe work. All of them. Every single one of them. So we're basically beginning running through a different series of points, trying to conclude what are the things that dis- make a pantheon distinct within the Voidenverse. So yeah, so that's the question, is what splits slash creates a new pantheon? So we're going to look at that sort of stuff. So we're going to look at some stories of where, like, historical movements of gods and their beliefs and where they came from. And we're also going to look at the books and look at the history of, like, Romans and also uh, Toa, because Toa is a great source for all this sort of stuff. Yeah, that is the plan for the episode. It's the most detailed plan I've probably had for an episode. Because, I'm going to be honest, this was a hard one. I wanted to talk about this stuff. And it was hard to work out how to format it into an episode. So, here we go. Let's get into this. 
historic roots of the gods in the real world, not within the mythological world. That's what we're going to start with. And to help us with this, we are going to use overly sarcastic productions. That is overly sarcastic productions, which is a great YouTube channel. They talk about myths and history and tropes and stories. There'll be a link into the description to the specific videos I'm talking about. And then, I mean, from there, they then pop in the recommended or you can go straight to the channel. But links all down below. So we're going to look at three of their videos, which are on the Greek gods and how they became Greek gods, you know? To start off with, we're going to go in the episode order they released it in, because why not? We're going to start with Dionysus. And you might be going, okay, but so Dionysus, what is the story behind Dionysus? Well, there was an ancient Greece to ancient Greece, also known as Mycenaean Greece. And this is where a lot of the gods originated from, at least the Greek god. That you can see direct name links between the two. There's some fun things with Poseidon and uh, being uh, linked to the underworld. And then there's this dark age where nothing's really written down. And between then and ancient Greece, things change. And then Hades appears out of nowhere. But you, so things have changed. To be honest, the gods in the Roidenverse probably do have links to these ancient Mycenaean Greeks ones, but they're just not, they're not worshipped as much. And all the stories, fun thing, all the stories that are told in ancient Greek myths are the time that these will take place is Mycenaean Greece. But Dionysus specifically, what? Why is he an interesting topic to look at? Well, so Dionysus was a bit scarier back in Mycenaean Greece times, a bit more, he leans a bit more into the mind manipulation side of things. And as time progresses and, and he, and you can see through history and like it's addressed in the Roidenverse as well, he's a late addition to the 12 Olympians. And to make that move into the mainstream, he changed a lot and leaned more into his partying side. Or you can look at different ways and some of his historic things, and because it doesn't quite make sense why a god of wine is in the Twelve Olympians. But if you look at his historical context, it makes much more sense. I'm not going to tell you the historical context, partly because I didn't want to know it, and partly because I want to go want, want you to go and watch the video. So yeah, that Dionysus, and then and then you've got Aphrodite, and Aphrodite doesn't have any roots in Mycenaean Greece because. She comes from a bit further east, and through trades with this other culture, they had a deity called Astari, Astra. And she was a war goddess, but also a goddess of love and beauty. So the Aphrodite stuff plus war goddess. First time kind of made land around Sparta, and Sparta kept that war-loving side of her. And then she started to become more popular, Athens took over, and... Well, Athens and Sparta had very different views on women. Uh, go watch the whole History's Wife Swap episode. Skep. Astri doesn't just come from them, you can trace it even further back to Ishtar, who was a war goddess of love and beauty and something else I can't remember. Sorry Ishtar, because you are pretty epic in all regards. You are just an epic one. So then you get to the question, okay, so if I can trace the origin of this god, why are Venus and Aphrodite the same, but Aphrodite and Ashti aren't? Well, the obvious answer is, well, she eventually got rid of Warness, but War goddess Aphrodite was still religiously done in Sparta. Well, in the mainstream, Aphrodite's war aspect was known. No more. So, like, you could say that. But I have another theory on it. And that is mythological narrative, which we shall get to in Toa. But just, so you can start seeing questions piling up about who, what, why, when, how of it all. 
And then we have Hermes and Pan, which in Mike and Angry's times, there was just Pan. There wasn't a Hermes. Hermes, or Herms, were just the markers to denote a road. And then, somehow, a god got named after these markers. In this, and this, but this happened very early on in their hist- in the history of the beliefs of them. So, why aren't Pan and Hermes, why are Pan and Hermes thought as separate and not together when they were together one? And I can bring you back to the fact of, well, by the time of ancient Greece, mainstream thoughts were, they weren't together, they were separate, completely separate. What's going on here then, hey? So from these videos, you can gather how different cultures merged and played with each other's gods, moulding them until that suited their needs. But have we got any clues to how this might work in the world? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next. self-conscious recording this episode guys i don't know why i just i feel like it's i feel like i have to take care with how i say this stuff so i'm saying it very slowly very methodically and then when i go to edit this i'm not gonna like how i'm speaking but i don't think there's any way around it so yeah anyway the book so in the books we have one god in particular that embodies this idea and that is harpocrates the god of silence and secrecy born from the Greek interpretation of the Egyptian god Harper Curity or Horus the Child, a god born of imagery from Egyptian worship, but given personality by the Greeks. Now that's the key there, is that his origins are linked to Egypt, but his mythological narrative, i.e. the stories that go along the way, the stories, the beliefs, the reason for existing, was completely new, completely made up by the Greeks, purely because of the symbolism, the the link between the symbol for shush and the Egyptian hieroglyph for child, linked so well together that we just created this brand new god. And there's not, that's really, that's really all you need to know about him. There was, he had, he's got a secrecy, uh, there was a secret rose from Eros about Aphrodite, something boring, who cares? Roses were hung up in places because, but oh, boring, who cares? It's not what we're here to talk about. But I'm sure, very lovely guy, but it's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the why of pantheons. So, we don't get much extra detail from the books about the creation of this hybrid god, and it is, um, but we do have these great lines, um, and it's an interaction between Apollo and Meg. So, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, just gonna go ahead and say it now. They built shrines, started worshipping him, and boom, he's a Greek-Egyptian hybrid god. Meg snorted. It can't be that easy to make a new god. Never underestimate the power of a thousand human minds, all believing in the same thing. They can remake reality, sometimes for the better, sometimes not. And, I mean, it's a, that sentiment is... Well, we'll circle back to that sentiment. The whole circles. Um, but you can also link that sentiment... That last statement by Apollo, very nicely to how he became the sun god. And that's kind of everything we have from the books. But there's the other side of the coins. We've been looking at the creation of the pantheons and why they're separate. 
But why are the Romans this together? Well, let's go and talk about This is the most setup I've ever given for like the next section. I've just set up every section in the section before. Like this is. Oh, so I really wish uh, I was. I don't know. I'm having fun. I'm having fun with this, but at the same time, they nervous about what I'm saying. <sighs> yes. So. The Romans. Why don't we see the Greek and Roman gods as separate, both in the Void Immersed and in the real world? So I went and had a dig around the creation of Greeks and Romans. Not Greeks. We've done Greeks. We're, and by the way, the only reason we're looking at Greek or Roman purely is because partly because of this it it stems from them and the fact that they're the easiest to research about because they are the most well known about out of these religions. Anyway, let's look at. Early Roman history. So in early Roman history, as they were like as they were coming to power, as they were becoming the Empire of Rome, the Greeks had colonies on the Italian peninsula in and around them. And they were in very close relationships, like trading relationships with the Greeks, which is how a lot of these gods get spread and mythologies get spread. And they were also in close relationships with their next door neighbours, the Eturia, who themselves were heavily influenced by Greek religion, and Eteria did become part of the very early Roman Empire, so a lot of their early building blocks of their takeover of Western Europe was built off the influences from Greek religion and Etruscan religion, which was also heavily influenced by Greek religion, so you can see why Greek religion would be a big thing in them. It was also, it's also believed that prior to the Greek myths um, infesting, infesting, it feels like the wrong word, but sort of like gathering their way into the Roman civilization. Rome, Roman peoples had very little narrative to their myths. It, their religion was much more based on the practices of worship rather than the stories behind the gods. So, when you look at all that and how cultures influence each other, and the, and when Rome started to do its poetry and its, and it started to have fun, it's, they went and they looked at the Greek poems and went, "Where them? They're ours now." And they just took the narrative and they took heavy, heavy influence of their of the more creative Greek narrative for their mythologies. They even added onto their onto the existing mythology narrative. To include Rome, city of Troy, perfect example. Someone escapes and they go found Rome. Like that's that's how intrinsically the Roman mythologies were linked to the Greek. The Roman narrative was related to the Greek narrative. They were they were literally one and the same. With very very few discrepancies. Presumably, I don't know. I'm not a historian. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of explains that but then there's other things that the romans did a lot of. and it's a thing called synch synchronism syncretism where when rome went to an area there was an existing religion there and they would take their gods and they would look at the local gods and stuff and they would try and link the the two sets of religions together they were probably one of the very few people that were able to do it successfully on a regular basis and to help us understand that 
we're going to look at Rowan Britain again. Sorry guys, but I'm British, which means for I uh, can easily access Roman Britain history. So, a fun thing I found out about this when I was learning this is that, and it it makes it helps the Romans and their things. Uh, is that the Romans and pre-Roman Britain as well? People believed on two like different levels of god godlyhood. You had your major gods and your minor gods, or your supreme and general gods and your local gods or spirits. And that so that meant when at least Rome arrived in Britain, they went, well, you've got your gods, we've got our gods, that's fine, but our major gods are your major gods now. And that was basically all that had to change. Uh, in some places, like Bath, they would identify a local god, for example, Sulis, with a major god, Minerva. They would combine the two, and you ended up with Sulis Minerva a lot. Just because, apparently, I like to talk to her about her, about her a lot, at least once a year, um, Britannia doesn't seem to quite fit this mould exactly. It's apparently Minerva also used to be um, something to do with water, which doesn't quite make sense to me. But I don't know. Apparently something Britannia. It's weird, um, and definitely just I would love someone to help me out find it, like a just a solid source that I can just read one source and understand the reasons for her creation. Yes, that is. So that, yeah, so they're the Romans, and they're the Romans, they're the Romans, they're the Romans. So what do we get from the Romans? We get mythological narrative being carried over, and we also get synchronism. But what does that all mean for the Royden verse? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Lies, I do. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know what it means for the word inverse, but I've got a very good, uh, very good. If I just say myself, I think it's very good. I've got a very good, very good explanation of how it works within the word inverse, and it comes down to how they are treated and seen by people people that worship, which comes from Hippocrates, who, who had two gods that looked like him two very different personalities and they saw them as two very distinct things so they looked like him but came to represent different things and that is mythological narrative that's what i like to call mythological narrative is the stories behind the gods are so different and extreme or not so different but different enough and linked to the pantheon there supposed to be maybe not even linked but just different enough that they are that they are different they are distinct they they have different continuities. And then you can have the synchronization gods like Celis Minerva. And in that scenario, I think for us in the Roydenverse anyway, it would be more like, so you they, they stayed as separate gods. They never merged together. One may have faded and one may have risen, but they never truly merged. And it was, at least in the early stages, it was just two gods sharing the offerings from two different pantheons because we we know from apollo they all kind of met up and that links to when groups met they would just call they would just go oh like they would see odin and say it's hermes like that all it all just ties back and circles around so they would either do that that's the thing they would either do that or they would build this new mythological narrative 
And that's where I think we get this distinction between Greco-Roman and everyone else, is that Greco-Roman had one narrative. And maybe in the early days when the gods were shuffling around and finding their place, they believe they would have like had that shaky stuff and it would always be like films and TV when someone has can like produce copies of themselves. It would always be like that, where they were like they were one entity and then one started to like pull itself out and became a different entity born conceptually from this other one. But narratively born very different. And that's I think where we stand with it. Basically enough people believe that these gods were different, therefore they were. And as, as Apollo says, never underestimate the power of a thousand human minds all believing the same thing. They can remake, remake reality. And it really is the crux of all this. And a lot of my theories, and really just the world in general, the entire idea of collective consciousness and what I talk about constantly in the theories of like this big overarching theoriness where the gods affect us, we affect the gods, but in our world, if we say these gods don't exist, or even even if you believe no gods exist, the, but the collective consciousness is still there because we all have we have culture, and that's that is effectively a collective consciousness is culture, and your cultures can change, and everything can change, and you can remake reality, you can remake how people see the world. But you've got to make a large group of people see that change. Which is the hard thing and the frustrating thing if you are in the business of making change. So if you are in the business of making change or you want to make change, please make it some good change. Make Go educate people about struggles that you or your community has. So that one day they won't. those struggles won't exist anymore. Be the change you want to see. Because you might just be able to make a random god out of it. Who knows? People believe they exist. So, thank you for indulging this theory. If there are any comments on this theory or theories of your own that you want me to discuss, you can always email me through through.t.mist at gmail.com or you can follow the Instagrams at through underscore mist. Make sure to follow the podcast, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, do whatever you have to do on whatever platform you're listening on to help boost the podcast. Um, knowledge Um, because I've been Owen and come back next time as we try to see through the mist the second recording let's hope this one works better